to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech. I'm Jude Jennison, the host of this podcast, and I'm the founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I work with senior leadership teams to help them align through behavioural change. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the intersection between technology, humanity and leadership and looking at how we use technology to be more human and increase emotional connection and enhance the way that we live and work. I'll be interviewing leaders from technology businesses who are at the forefront of changing how we live and work. You will not want to miss this. Some of the conversations have been enlightening and inspiring and I hope you enjoy them as much as I have done. I'm delighted to be interviewing this week Mike Bristow, the CEO of Crowd Property, a company using technology to disrupt the property investment market. Mike and his two co-founders were frustrated with how long it took to get investment for property development projects, so they created a technology solution to resolve the problem. Mike explains how they're using technology to drive disruptive change in a market that was causing them considerable pain, and he explains how and why he did it. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining me today. Hi, Jude. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Can you tell us who you are and what you do, please? Sure. Um, so I'm Mike Bristow, CEO and co-founder of Crowd Property. Um, Crowd Property uh, is a business that was founded out of uh, fundamental pains that the three founders uh, uh, experienced ourselves, which all businesses should uh, come from. Um, and that is that we found it very, very difficult and frustrating and slow and painful uh, to get finance for our property development projects. Um, so we set out to build the best lender for property development projects in the UK and arguably globally, um, such that more house building can get done and more spend in the economy uh, can be realised um, from a brilliant set of entrepreneurial grassroots, tenacious, go-getting property developers that are doing some great stuff. Um, and are under-supported by uh, the overall financial services sector. I love that, because what I hear with that is, here's a problem, it's causing us pain. Instead of moaning about it, let's just create the solution ourselves and go do it. And, and I, I love that, because I think that's, for me, that's the essence of entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, but also leadership, is I don't yep. think it matters whether you're creating an organisation or whether you're in an organisation, instead of complaining about a problem, just get on and find a solution to it. Um, yeah. and, and that sounds and, really and, simple. <laughs> yeah, 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 there are a few complexities with, with, with what we undertook. Yeah. But, but I guess the, 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 the crucial thing is that if you experience pain yourselves and, and, and you see that frustration and you know what you need, you know what you want and you know what can serve you better, right, in whatever situation that is, okay, then... You can build something, go out and build something that delivers to that. Now, you should never be sort of uh, uh, lazy or blinkered with the assertion that exactly what you think is right for the whole market. Okay, so you always sort of research beyond your initial concept, right? Um, but, and, but then you identify those pains, you get validation throughout the market. And yeah, you, you build a better solution to a real pain that exists. Um, and, and that's really important. And that, and that sounds so simple, 
what were some of the key challenges that you had in doing that? Well, I mean, for a start, um, one of the big things is if you're going to, if you say that um, uh, the financial services sector and the, and the, the, the uh, in our case, the development finance sector is broken, then there's one thing building a proposition that serves developers better with, with the, the key customer needs they have. But the, the big elephant in the room is, is, is to build a lender, you need capital. Um, so, and quite a lot of it, right? Um, and, and actually that's where uh, sort of one of the fund fundamental points of our business was, was, was born, that um, we could do the service proposition, et cetera, but actually to get the capital, where do we go? 2013, when we set this up, um, was you know, businesses like Funding Circle were getting traction. Okay, they were founded out of similar pains, but for the general small and medium-sized uh, business sector, um, where where banks and other large-scale financial uh, institutions were retracting from that in the post-global financial crisis world, and they said, "Well, what if you matched the supply and demand of capital more efficiently, more directly?" Okay, and he went straight to people to put money into those projects. So rather than those people saying, right, I want to invest money, uh, I might, you know, I might have my savings and, and, and this is an investment product, right? It's very, very important. Um, that they, you know, they go to a financial advisor, that financial advisor says, put some money into this big fund, generalist fund, and that generalist fund says, oh, part of my allocation should be in real estate. So I'll find a real estate smaller fund, specialist fund, and then that real estate specialist fund goes to find some brokers that find some property developers to put some money in. And suddenly that original investor, okay, that money's passed through so many different hands. And it's a market economy, so they have cost to cover and a profit to make, right? That is just fundamental inefficiency, right? It can be done better. It can pass through, through fewer hands. And ultimately, the person who owns that capital, okay, um, gets a more direct investment and a greater slice of returns. And so we said there's pain for property developers, okay, and there's opportunity for investors. Let's put that together. Mm -hmm. Now, ironically, ironically, actually, and there's a lot of tech and lots of things behind that, and, and we can talk about that in a minute. But, but ironically, what happens then, and it's the same trajectory as happened with Funding Circle, um, which is you, you build a track record, you deliver brilliant returns, and then institutions come knocking on your door saying, well, wait a minute, okay, the, 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 the investors are getting great returns on a great track record, can we participate? And suddenly you build uh, a, a, a diverse um, set of capital sources that include everyday people, like my mother, um, right through to some of the world's biggest asset managers. And that's a really interesting investor mix. Mm. Um, and, and that actually was a key part of reliability of finance through the pandemic. Right. Let's come back to, let's come back to that. Um, did you set out to, do, how do you consider yourself? Do you consider yourself a property business, a finance business or a tech business? Depends who's listening. Right, okay. Um, so, so, <laughs> so we are a fintech, prop tech, intersect business. Um, mm. 
that's that's the predominant way I, I describe it because we use fin financial services technologies and also property technologies in doing what we do efficiently. Um, um, we are ultimately a leading property development finance business underpinned by a hell of a lot of tech with insights into fintech and proptech. So it's bringing together lots of different things uh, that also, and I think this is a really important piece. So we, we leverage technology for efficiency of lending. And that's everything, including data, analytics, workflows, routes to market, uh, uh, marketing, etc. cetera. So it's a hell of a lot of data and technology uh, behind that. But, but, okay, and also the algorithms in our underwriting. Um, but ultimately, property development lending is not lending to tens of thousands of customers, lending a few thousand pounds where you can just put actuarial um, uh, algorithms to it. You actually have to have some fundamental expertise in the business that interpret that data, that analytics, et cetera, and are able to make complex underwriting decisions from all of that efficiency. So we use technology for efficiency and expertise for effectiveness of lending. And that's really fundamentally important in our business, how the tech enables uh, the people to excel um, and, and, and make better decisions, quicker decisions and serve the customer better. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because the, the whole, you know, it's come, come to the whole basis of this podcast is about innovating humanity. And it's about how do we use tech to allow people to be more human? Um, and, and often tech, we see tech um, getting a bad rap, actually, for creating um, situations that actually don't enhance our human experience. How do you, how do you make sure that the people in your business are positively impacted by the tech and also that your customers are positively benefiting from the tech? I think this is, uh, and this is fundamentally important because those two, the tech and the people need to work so incredibly closely together mm. okay, and can benefit hugely. Um, people can benefit hugely from that technology. So take, for example, one of our case managers who are looking at um, underwriting individual projects, so assessing and due diligence in the projects and the people that, that we might lend money to. Okay. Um, they also um, uh, work with those property developers throughout those projects, throughout those loans. Okay. The great thing is that there's a load of process there. There's a load of analytics. There's a load of sort of systemly oriented things okay, that we can take off their, their hands. Mm-hmm. You know, just things as easy as workflow management, to do list management, reminders at the right time, right through to um, market data, um, uh, you know, processing loan data, all of the sort of the complex um, workflows that we have in our business. Right? If those case managers can do less of the process mundane sort of you know tasks that can be done some of which are easy to automate some of which are very complex to automate but the more of that that we take away from their day-to-day roles the more they feel rewarded because they're doing the complex interpretation stuff the stuff that takes the expertise okay the stuff that they learn from on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. Um, and you know we all know 
that there are mundane tasks in our lives that frustrate us, right? That take away from the things we either enjoy doing, like doing, feel rewarded by doing, um, et cetera. And, you know, if we can just let technology handle all of that, such that we're really using the stuff that engages us um, or, or doing the stuff that engages us, that's powerful. It's more rewarding. Um, and we can offer a better, um, uh, a better proposition to our employees, number one, uh, but also a more efficient service out to our customers. So yeah, so what I'm hearing with within all of that is that you're absolutely absolutely using technology to enhance the the experience of your employees as well as your customers to make to make jobs more interesting to take away the mundane things. Um, but somebody presumably has to design all of that and build all of that. <laughs> is that yeah. is that interesting creative work or is that mundane work that has to be done by somebody? No, I mean it's 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 fascinating work. So so in our office uh, on the Hagley Road in Birmingham is our entire our software engineering team. Um, this is really important to us. We put technology at the heart of our business. It's there's no outsourcing, there's no offshoring um, you know, we are a, tech, a, a, a significant technology uh, employer in Birmingham. Um, over a quarter of our team are software engineers. Mm -hmm. um, and what we are building in our systems and processes is what nobody has ever built in our sector. Um, it is a far better uh, system. And, and, and there are some more mon mundane parts of, uh, of, of functionality that get built out. And there are some very progressive technologies um, that we're using. Um, but all of that comes together in a in-house developed proprietary technology platform that we know is market leading, that we know underpins our scalability and the growth of our business. And, and that's not just growth and scalability within the UK market. We've uh, this earlier this year we, we launched in the Australian market um, because we've got those fundamental uh, that fundamental scalable technology that, that we've built and mm -hmm. continue building and have a roadmap of amazing innovation to take us to a very very strong differentiation um, in terms of what it does and how scalable it is so so the big picture vision is right at the heart of our what our sector does. Um, so, so right at the cutting edge of what our uh, sector does, um, and that's why that is a great opportunity for everyone that works in our business in the in, in the software engineering team or in the uh, uh, in, in in the wider operations and other elements of our business. That it is truly building something special. And. There's the technology gets a, a, a you know gets slammed for not being terribly inclusive. What how how do you ensure that you're creating technology that is inclusive? Because I don't know what your what your mix of workforce is in terms of race, gender, and um, various different minority groups, but but technology tends to be largely white male, not not only not exclusively. But I just wonder how. How do you ensure that what you're creating is technology that is inclusive and therefore that the products that you're putting out into the market 
are also inclusive? Yeah, I, so um, we actually have a very diverse workforce and we're, and we're very proud of that right across the, the, the business. You know, you're right, technology is not famed um, for diversity, nor is the property sector. Um, and 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 we are, um, you know, we index well above um, average diversity within fintech, prop tech, and and uh, financial services and property. Um, so, so 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 we're very proud of that, and, and and that drives richer perspectives, different perspectives, um, and and ultimately a sort of a better service product um overall mm. um and of course birmingham would, is a very diverse um place anyway I mean, it's the highest diversity i think in europe so you've got a workforce that you know a, a talent pool to pull for to pick from there yeah um, amazingly so uh, and that's one of the many reasons um I, I i love the fact that um our, our business is based in birmingham um you know it has i i work um uh, outside of my core role, which is um, CEO and co-founder of Crowd Property, um, I have a sort of non-exec type capacity role with um, uh, with a venture capital fund called Pilabs, which is Europe's uh, sort of most prolific prop tech venture capital capital fund. And you know, one of the biggest challenges of portfolio businesses in that fund is actually they're based in London. Um, and whilst that's a you know it's a great talent pool it's very very competed um and we see a very good talent pool in birmingham and it's less competed um and add to that the fact that we're able to more easily build a stronger and more prominent employer brand within birmingham than if we were based in london um, and that's really important to us because we are a great business. We are a standout business. Deloitte recognised us as the fastest growing tech business in, uh, in, in, in the Midlands last year and number 41 in the UK. Um, all of these things attract people into our business. We, you know, we are growing all the time um, and want to employ more software engineers, more uh, property experts, more people right across our, our business. Um, the centrality of location of Birmingham is really important to us because, you know, on a practical level, we need to get out to uh, get out to sites um, and, and visit our developers. And, and so it's a great location, central location for us to do that. Um, and then finally, um, I, it, it's, it's fantastic because I, I, I have lower fixed costs in my business um, overall. So my office space and average uh, cost of employment, et cetera, is very, very strong in um, in Birmingham. So all of those measures mean that I can build a better business, a more resource business, um, and grow quicker because of our base in, um, in Birmingham, which, um, you know, so I'm a massive advocate of, of, of um, uh, technology businesses or, you know, any businesses growing in Birmingham, West Midlands, and the wider Midlands region. Okay. Um when um when as your business grows how do you make sure that people because what i'm hearing from the way you speak is that people are at the heart of your business how do you make sure that that the technology doesn't take over in some way i mean if you look at most you look at most technology and how it's used 
how it's used is often not how it was set up initially. So, and, and often that's driven by the way consumers adopt it and then use it. And often te technology then takes on a life of its own. How do you counteract that? And how do you make sure that your business continues to develop something that's adding value to, to consumers and the employees? I think, um, I think it cuts right to the core of why we set this up. Um, so, um, not wanting to offend financial services listeners uh, to this podcast, um, uh, but I'm going to assert that financial services has never been great at building customer-centric products, right? And that is a similar accusation of, of technology builds across many, many different sectors, right? My background um, was actually a, a lot of uh private equity advisory on the buyouts and setting corporate strategies of consumer businesses that were owned by uh private equity funds looking for, for fast growth what was the course of that fast growth it was absolutely putting customers customers at the center now we more and more think about our business like a consumer business okay what are the fundamentals in that consumer business that help them to excel and 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 number one is putting by definition, the consumer at the center. Uh, and, and, and that's the fundamental reason why uh, it was failing us ourselves and we felt that pain, right? So if you keep absolute focus on that and you're building your proposition, your technology, um, the processes, the systems, the, the approaches in your business, and ultimately the, the sort of how everyone thinks internally, you're delivering that externally. Um, and you, you know, the, the moment you lose sight of that and is, is, is the, the moment you're just building tech for tech's sake or, mm -hmm. or building process for process sake or, or, or whatever, there's got to be a tough prioritization process and many, many, many different things we could do. Well, what has most impact to the customer? What benefits the customer most? What, what, what will therefore drive up either um, more business with existing customers, share of wallet focus or, 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 a, or a broader market share and market penetration? um results and um you, you know that's the fundamental it's it's not rocket science but it's very easy to lose sight of that <laughs> well i think it is for tech businesses <laughs> yeah exactly um, have you been have you been surprised by um anything that the consumers have wanted that you perhaps hadn't envisaged or has it how has it shaped what you're what you're delivering Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think, I don't think there's often sort of counterintuitive surprise from, uh, from the research that we do. A lot of customer research, both on um, investor side and also on the property developer side. Um, I think, um, I, I think there's probably A lot of it just refocuses down onto the few things that we kind of know, right? And I'm not saying it's, you know, that sort of therefore research is a waste of time. Actually, that research is just fundamentally reinforcing as to why you're doing it mm. and, and, and what you're building. Mm. And 
you, you know, within within the business, I have presented the same slides, the same things multiple times. And people say they've seen that before. It's like, well, yep, I'm going to say it again. Um, and because actually you've just got to maintain that focus. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so I, I would say there's never been massive surprises. Um, but constantly comes down to reminding ourselves on what's fundamentally important. Right. That gives you confidence as well, right? Mm -hmm. Because if you think, if, if you're progressing as a business thinking, right, these three are the most important pains that I'm solving, right? And then you go out and you do a load of research and they come back and said, right, yeah, these are the three pains we should be focusing on. So, right, great. Okay, so let's stop doubting that, you know, oh, are we missing something, are we whatever? No, we can mm -hmm. just absolutely focus on those and, mm -hmm. and, and do that with confidence and have that checkpoint that everything we're building, everything we're doing, everything we're changing, right, aligns to those fundamental things. Yeah, I mean, I know when, when, I, um, when I wrote my book, Leading Through Uncertainty, I, I had my own experience of uncertainty and what, what my clients experienced, but I, I went out and interviewed CEOs and a variety of leaders across all sectors on their experiences of uncertainty and I was actually surprised that they were all coming up with the same stuff that that I'd already identified and I don't know why I was surprised really because <laughs> yeah. it was as you say it's validating isn't it is that that sense of yeah actually you've got it right because every time you say it's xyz everybody says yeah that's that's exactly it so um <laughs> So in, in terms of, so we've talked a bit about your, your business and, and the technology and, and how you respond with the market. And um, I want to switch to you as a leader and how you, how you lead your organization. What, what, how do you describe yourself as a leader? Um, my background personally was, was for many, many years as a strategy consultant, okay, and I have never been able to pit, sort of pinpoint whether part of that is nature or part of that is nurture, but ultimately what that has resulted in is, is sort of quite a long-term um, perspective. Um, and I think that is vital in taking the organization um, with you, your thinking, uh, etc but having that roadmap having that vision having that end not an end game but a but a long-term three-five-year view mm. of what does this look like and, what, and what's the roadmap to get there okay because then you're able to make rich decisions in the moment number one um because does that does that you know get us to that uh, end goal or not um then um there's uh, you know, the sort of clarity of the journey uh, for everyone in, in, involved. It's like, right, there is a purpose, there's an aim, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bigger picture sort of goal here that, you know, everything that I can do, I can work out, work that out, okay, you know, does it contribute to that? But ultimately, you know, it's part of this overall journey. Um, and I, you know, it's incredibly exciting working in a, a, a high growth business is a great opportunity for, for, for everyone. Um, um, me leading it through to the person who's, you know, joined last week. Um, and um, because there actually aren't that 
many opportunities to be involved in that real scale-up motoring moment that actually can result in 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 such a rich uh, experience as you go through those stages. You learn so much because the organisation and what you do and what everyone does and what the business does and what the business positions itself has to evolve so rapidly. And you can effectively just build, you know, wherever everyone is in five, 10 years time or whatever. The, you know, my commitment to my promise is that the X years involved at Crowd Property, you'll learn more than you will learn anywhere else. Um, and, and that period will gold plate your CV for whatever you want to do. Um, and so, you know, maximize that journey um, because, you know, I didn't have that journey uh, younger. I saw businesses that did, and that was super exciting. So would you say you're a, you're a lifelong learner? Are you somebody that's hungry to learn? Definitely, mm. definitely. Um, and certainly see lots of different things. Um, uh, and, and, you know, that, that, that comes from a, you know, a consulting background where I've probably walked into, you know, hundreds of different uh, businesses um, and addressed very, very varied problems that they face. Okay, that was, you know, 18 odd years of my life um, of cracking different problems with different businesses in different sectors, right? So massive learning curves each time, um, which, which every time was daunting and, 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 and you sort of just you, you sort of drive yourself through it and, and, and you just learn. The, the, that, that situation, that challenge is different now because it's with one business um, and it's growing that one business, but, but the challenges vary day by day almost um mm. and, and and the different stages present different challenges the different challenges present different opportunities um and and different learnings so you know otherwise otherwise you're just standing still right what do you think is the biggest challenge for the employees in your organization with the, the level of growth uh massive flux right so we've probably been through the biggest uh, sort of uh, learning curve challenge that any businesses will face. And that's typically between probably 15 to about 40 people. Uh, so, so, so we've got 53 in our business. Uh, by the end of next year, we'll have around about 75, with, uh, although it will be a lot bigger in terms of uh, revenue due to our scalability. I, I, I think that you, you, I think everyone faces enormous challenges through, especially that learning curve point, because what you get quite early on is you bring on boards, sort of quite generalists that do lots of things, right? And then actually over time, when you're building up that staff base, you're, you're recruiting deeper specialists in, in the sort of silos and elements of the business, right? And that can be disconcerting. Uh, it can be challenging. It, it, it drives a lot of change. It drives more hierarchy coming in, different hires at different levels, etc. Um, you know, it's it's not straightforward for anyone uh, involved. You know, especially because uh, you know, well, it's just different to what it was, right? Well, is that a good way? Is it a bad way? Okay, where it's bad, let's let's try and understand that and mitigate that, and 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 you've got to rely on so much more feedback within the business to make sure that you know when you're growing you're mitigating the, the risk the concerns 
concerns, etc. But also you're, you know, sort of making the most of the opportunities that brings as well. Yeah, and also there's that that um, the the importance of making sure that you don't become a, a group of siloed individuals because instead of people having a view across the board, as people become more specialist, they only have a smaller amount of, you know, more depth and less breadth. Um, yeah. and, and it's so easy to then, then to become a siloed organization. So, um, so yeah. Which is, which is why, which is why we're in this office, there's not a, there's not a wall. Um, there is, there's, I certainly don't have an office. Um, we're, it's an open plan uh, office. Um, we're all able to approach everyone. And, and so we're trying to keep that as much as possible. Now, obviously one of the challenges over the last 18 months has been, well, how do you keep that fluidity within the business, that openness, that, that, that communication, that, um, that, that sort of um, open plan culture when people are at home on Zoom? Um, you know, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> Um, but, that's my uh, that's my other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and, and 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 we've done a lot of thinking, a lot of planning, a lot of uh, listening out in the market um, around all of that. But but fundamentally, you know, I do believe as a leader, we are better together, um, more innovative together, even if we can be productive and communicative whilst remote. So it's interesting because as somebody that is running a business that's heavily dependent on technology. What I'm hearing is that there's no substitute for the face-to-face -face interaction and collaboration, that even though we've got enormous technolo technological solutions that enable us to collaborate, there's nothing quite the same as sitting face-to-face -face and, and, and saying, what do you think about this? <laughs> that's definitely right, that's definitely right. Uh, it's, so, it's, but, but, it's, but it's better on multiple dimensions right um it is i think better for the innovation and growth and development of the business okay but it is far far better for everyone in this business who face face to face learns from the people around them and the people above them and the people below them etc right that, that you know without that proximity you compromise that and that is compromising the development uh, development of all of us um so, um, and, and that's before you start stretching into any mental health implications of, uh, of, of, of time during the pandemic. So given, given then that we, are, we, we appear to be moving towards more of a, a hybrid, more people working remotely, more virtual teams, more remote working, more reliance on the technology, how do we make sure that we are human in the way that we run business? Go into the office. <laughs> it's, it's that simple. <laughs> it's, it's that. It's, it really is that simple. Um, you know, be right. I, I, the, the, the right word is is hybrid. Um, and you know, I will not have a remote software engineering team or remote teams within the business um, because I just genuinely believe it's better for everyone. Um, to be in and around the office more than uh, a, a remote model could ever offer. Many businesses have gone remote entirely. Um, I genuinely think that that is the wrong answer, um, and those businesses will suffer for it. One of the one of the companies I tracked from quite early on was, was Twitter, who said, 
like we're never going to have an office again. And I genuinely thought, well, great. In 20 years time, we're going to talk about that, that thing we used to do with 300 characters. Um, um, you know, and, and they U-turned on that uh, in, in earlier this year, uh, not in 2020. So, uh, you know, that says quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mike, I reckon I could talk to you all day about this, but thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Jude. Really appreciate it. At the heart of everything Mike said, he's finding innovative solutions to problems, whether that's using technology or building the business in Birmingham because there's more available and diverse talent than London. Mike's yet another great example of a non-tech founder running a tech business that resolves business problems. It's not the tech that solves the problem though, it's Mike and his co-founders whose whole approach is to not be defeated by the challenges they faced. There's always a solution if we look hard enough. What problems are you experiencing and how might you solve them in an innovative way that you've not previously considered? That's it for this week. You've been listening to Innovating Humanity, the official podcast for Birmingham Tech Week. I'm Jude Jennison, host of the podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I hope you've been as inspired by this week's guest as I have. If you'd like to know more about how I help leaders and teams be more human in a world of technology, you may be surprised to discover I do it by working in a field with a herd of horses. Sound crazy? All innovation's crazy in the beginning. So if you like to think outside of the box and get rapid results, you can find out more at www.judejennison.com. And if you'd like to find out more about the exciting technology scene in Birmingham, hop onto the Birmingham Tech website at www.birminghamtechweek.com. Until next time, that's it from me, Jude Jennison, the official podcast partner for Birmingham Tech. <laughs>